Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, January 7th, and this is the weekly market update. So we're back to work. The holidays are over. I hope everyone has enjoyed them and is ready to get back to work for 2023. I think it's going to be a very interesting year. And it's going to be, I think, very volatile in my view. So first show of the new year. Uh, let's get started. The disclaimer, anything that you hear or see in this podcast or video is not investment advice. I'm not a registered financial advisor. I cannot give you financial advice. It's for informational purposes only. Please do your own research and your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. So the first thing I wanted to talk about um I tallied up the, this is the performance of the Actionable Intelligence Alert newsletter for 2022. Um, obviously, I, I've cut off, when I copied this, I didn't get the uh, column title. So the column in the middle is the Actionable Intelligence Alert performance for 2022, which we were up uh for the entire year, for the entire portfolio, 21.26%. And the S&P, which is on the right of that, on the far right, was down 19.95%. Um, our overall performance, since we've started tracking this formally, I have a tracking software. It's not dead on. There's a few little variances because dividends and how that gets dealt with and some stock splits plus some of the shares are not you can't enter them into the tool because they're maybe a foreign stock or something like this but I uh, tried to compensate for that uh, where I could so this is, gives you a general idea basically what I'm saying it's not dead nuts on but it's close enough and so we had uh, this is the third year that we outperformed the S&P I'm not going to sit here and toot my horn um I probably need another couple years to have five years of total performance throughout an entire cycle to see if this isn't just luck. Um, so, but you know, we did beat the we did beat the um, S and P last year, and why? Well, I mean, this is what we saw like during the two thousand eight situation, and also like tech wreck. You had a shifting of i don't want to say popularity but money from the glamour stocks the headline stocks the tech stocks into more value stocks and that's where we have been for the last couple few years in the initial performance of the portfolio going back several before we started tracking it was not that good because value was out of favor resource stocks were out of favor. Now, this is not a resource-based newsletter. This is a newsletter that looks for cheap things to buy that I think are going to inflect or have a change of view or perception that the market uh, will have that will revalue the stock. So I am inclined to buy anything if it is cheap and has a catalyst for um, being revalued higher. And so you can see uh, overall the last three years, uh, the portfolio in its entirety is up 172.6% against the S&P being up 17% over the last three years. So 
Um, again, this doesn't mean that I'm the best portfolio manager or, or anything. This could all be luck. It's only three years. Uh, like I said, prior to the tracking, uh, we kind of were muddling around. Uh, but that's liable to happen because in this type of portfolio, we're going to take positions early and then we have to sit on. This is an indication of kind of my uh, philosophy. If I see something that I think is undervalued and I develop a thesis around it, it takes time for it to play out. And this is the problem that a lot of people have. You know, we, we have turnover in the portfolio. It's, it's, this isn't for everyone. People don't like the volatility. Maybe they don't like me. They don't like my writing. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we have had some longer term people that have stayed with us from the beginning. And uh, you can, if you become a member and you're in the discord, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, the mistakes that, I, uh, that I've made and uh, mistakes that other investors have made, some of their picks and of other subscribers. So um, this is not easy. Uh, but uh, I'm pretty pleased with the performance from last year, uh, considering that the overall market was down. And uh, like I said, we will, uh, this type of portfolio will be volatile. This type of portfolio, there could be a quarter where we're down 30%. That can happen in this type of portfolio and has happened before. Um, nevertheless, I think that if you buy things that are cheap, you just don't go around and just do a screen for cheap stuff. You, 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 you can do that. And then you have to look at individual companies or situations and see if there's a catalyst that makes logical sense. You know, for example, what happened in coal, what's currently happening in uranium, what happened in oil and gas. These are things that we were able to uh, get ahead of. And then we have, we're reaping the uh, benefit of that now. The other thing I would say is most of the outperformance happened in the first part of 2022. Um, we kind of reached our peak level where we were up almost like 40%, but that was in the summertime when oil was around $130 a barrel. Subsequent to that, uh, as uh, recessionary fears and all the things that have happened in the markets, you know, you're in a bear market. It has a, has a tendency to, that gravity of that bear market has a tendency to pull um, everything down. So, uh We'll see what happens in 2023, but uh, that's I just wanted to report this out uh, uh, again. Uh, this isn't previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. So uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, going into 2023, and I think I'll share some of this over the next couple of weeks about where I'm at or what I'm thinking about, but you know, I continue to believe that uranium is probably the one of the most prospective places in the market. Um, obviously, a lot of people have become, especially newer entrants into this market, as I see it in the newsletter. Um, I see it in the comments. I see it on FinTwit. People are losing interest. People are wondering what's happening. Why isn't the market doing what I want it to do? You know, we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to kind of belabor the point. But again, you know, and I haven't talked about uranium a lot in the last year or so because there's nothing really to talk about. Uh, the the machine is in motion. The gears are turning. Uh, the supply demand situation is in our favor. Um, I'm going to give you some information in subsequent in a couple slides ahead 
uh, and some reading that you probably should do if you are un not convinced. You know, when these markets are hot, everybody's in. You know, I think it was like the summer, was it not this last summer, but the summer before when, um, or was it, yeah, I think it was last summer. No, not this last August, the previous, when I think uranium kind of had a big run and it drew a lot of people in because that's what happens, right? Especially with younger, newer investors, especially people on FinTwip, especially because of the bubblicious economy and investing um, uh, environment we've been in that has been, you know, juiced up with liquidity. Where Bitcoin, you know, did what it did, cryptocurrencies, all these people made tremendous amounts of money speculating in cryptocurrencies, tech stocks, Tesla, all these things, people made tremendous amounts of money, you know, and if you weren't, if you were a little bit, uh, I mean, to the point of being obnoxious. So I think there's investor, especially younger, inexperienced investors, not even necessarily younger, a lot of inexperienced people have been drawn in because they think it's easy and free money. And then when something doesn't happen the way they want it to happen or think it should happen on a particular uh, sector, then people lose interest. And that's kind of what's happened in uranium. Uranium hasn't went to $200 a pound. Um, it hasn't went up, it hasn't 10 bagged. So people lose interest. Notwithstanding, not, not even in addition to that is what I'm trying to say is we have liquidity has tightened throughout the financial markets, guys. We are in some of the tightest liquidity situations that we've had in a long time. We're in a bear market. There's a lot of fear out there. Central banks are raising rates. QT, uh, at least the Fed is doing QT. You can argue how much QT they're actually doing, but they are doing QT. So you have liquidity shrinking, right? You have an overall bear market. You have a gravitational pull on risk assets. Now you have to remember the uranium mining market, if that's what you want to, that's what we're talking about here. And I've said this before, with the exception of just a few companies, most of these are speculations. Most of these are burning matches. What do I mean by that? I've talked about this before. Most of the companies that people are uh, buying are speculations. They are not producers. They have no cash flow. So people are speculating that the uranium market uh, the uranium price will go up and that will drag these uh, junior miners or or prospectors, whatever you want to call them, speculative entities, burning matches, you know, you know, coin flips, whatever you want to call them, trading sardines up, you know. So you have to, again, differentiate between speculation and investment. And when you're speculating, timing has a lot to do with it, right? Because remember, if these companies are not producing anything and generating any revenue, which the majority of them are not, and the majority of them never will, then you are speculating that the price of uranium will go up such that you will get a general rise in all of these as more speculators come in and pay you a higher price. That's different than investing. Investing is looking at Cameco, looking at Kaz Adam Prom, looking at, you know, some of these other companies that are on the verge of, you know, being producers, There's and there's a couple of them out there, and then, you know, trying to forecast uh, what they uh, cash flows are going to be. Because remember, investing is buying a portion of a business, a sliver of a business. If you buy 5% of the stock, you own 5% of the company. You're entitled to, or the 
the thought process around investing is that you're entitled to the future, some portion of the future cash flows of that company uh, that equal your ownership stake. So uh, we have a lot of speculation going on in the uranium market. And when you're in a tighter liquidity environment, speculative juices, that's the whole, that's another reason why the Fed's raising rates and doing what they're doing. They want to squeeze out the speculative um, bubblicious conditions that are, have been ripe in the entire stock market, real estate market, and our entire economy. Uh, that's one of the side effects that they're doing as they raise rates. And so um, even though the prospects for the uranium mining market and uranium prices have gotten better, and they're, they're probably even better than they were last year, well, I'm not even going to say probably they are, the fundamentals continue to... Um, get better and better. You know, the only thing that I can think of that derails this is another major nuclear accident. Uh, I can't, I've, I've, I've asked other people that are smarter than me. I've talked about it with some other folks, um, DM'd back and forth with some folks, and there's really no, uh, this is the future, folks. Uh, this is the future of energy in the world, uh, at least for electro electrification. It's not going to be renewables, it's nuclear. And you can see that, and I'll show you a slide, and you can do some more research. I get you to do some more research later. So, so I wanted to bring this up uh, because this is my, how I'm thinking about this. You know, again, I bought a lot of these companies several years ago for fractions of what they even go for today. Um, and so you're, if you entered in later in or near one of the speculative recent tops that I just talked about, then you're going to be down and you're going to be, you know, disgruntled you're going to you know think but again you have to ask yourself did you get into this because it was a hot market and you thought you could make some easy money or did you actually do the research do the analysis and understand that this is going to this you know notwithstanding the fact of a nuclear accident happening that this is going to happen it is happening okay and so this is a quote from howard marks again you know I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and I realized that during my investment uh, investment journey. I wouldn't say smart; I would say wise, okay, or experienced. Uh, I've become more wise and more experienced. And the reason I did that was, again, as I've said before in other uh, videos, and people I think get bored of this, but I'm going to keep saying it. If you want to be successful, uh, look to what the most successful people. Find the most successful people in your particular industry or uh, what you're trying to do, and then discover and emulate what they did to get their success. And so Howard Marks is one of those guys. Uh, he's been a very successful investor for many decades. And I came upon this quote, and I think it's applicable to what we're talking about vis-a-vis -vis uranium. And so um, what he's talking about here is you don't have to be constantly trading and jumping in and out of the market. This is another thing that inexperienced young investors do or speculators, which they shouldn't do, but they do it anyways. And he says this, quote, I made main five calls in 50 years. That means he made five major calls in 50 years that made him a lot of most of his money. If you are sure what is coming, you buy the asset. When price falls, you buy more. If price falls again, you buy again. That is what you have to do. 
So when we're talking about uranium being the mo one of the most prospective, if not the most prospective investment themes going forward, this could be one of the main calls that, you know, you make in your life. And the way that you able, that you're able to, and you're sure what's going to happen, which again, I'm going to give you the information that you can go look up yourself and do the calculations that nuclear energy is growing around the world. Maybe not necessarily, you know, people will say, well, what about Germany? What about the, who cares about Germany in the U S okay. I'm talking about the rest of the world. I'm talking about India and China and Bangladesh and Indonesia and all these other places where they're, where they're building reactors. Okay. Where the real population is in the world, where the thirst and desire for energy is insatiable where people are entering the middle class in the hundreds of millions, if not billions, and don't have energy. You're not going to fix that with solar panels. If you try to fix it with coal, you're going to choke the population to death and have respiratory distress, okay? And you can't do it with natural gas. So these countries are not ideological. They have a desire, as the Indian energy minister says, I have 1.4 billion consumers that I have to satisfy their energy de uh, demand. And so I will do what I need to do to do that. And that's what the call is. And if you want to look at it from a perspective of climate change, whatever, this is the only thing that makes sense. And so if you're sure what is coming, which is the the continued growth of nuclear power, which I am, you buy the asset. Now the asset price has falls. So what do you do? You should be buying more dollar cost average in buy more. If it falls again, buy more. Because if you are convinced because you have done the research and you have the conviction and John Polamy cannot give you the conviction, I cannot give you the conviction. What's conviction, the understanding or the, I don't want to say the feeling, but the um, certainty that you have that the probabilities are are very stacked in your favor because you have done the research, you know the business inside and out, you know the thesis, and that gives you the conviction. That gives you the, you can never have 100% certainty, nothing's 100%, but again, we're dealing in probabilities. Is it highly probable that the world's going to electrify using nuclear over the next decade? two, three decades, absolutely, it's already happening, okay? And so if you have that mindset, then you know where this is going because we're building the reactors, but we're not building the mines. It's that simple. And we can do forecasts based on the construction that's being announced of the current demand and where that demand's going. And then we can match it up with announced mine uh, announcements and it doesn't match, it's just that simple. And so you can get into the nuances of overfeeding and underfeeding. You don't even have to get that deep into it. You can. Uh, I talked about it last week. I think there was a very good uh, Macro Voices with Eric Townsend uh, interview with Justin Hune. They went all through all that stuff, every little nook and cranny of the market, of the bullish uh, nature of it. Um, but you don't even have to go that deep to realize what's happening. And so, again, if you're sure what is coming, you buy the asset. When price falls, you buy more. If it falls again, you buy again. Because, But you can only do that if you have the conviction, not because I said something on a YouTube video. Because if you do, if you're just allocating capital based on what you hear from somebody else, then the first time that the stock drops, you're going to punch out 
or, or the sector pulls back, which is inevitable, uh, this is how markets are, you're going to get flushed out. You know, the thing you need to understand about the stock market is, you know, we talk about these little anecdotal, cute little things that all these guys say, but it's true. You know, Warren Buffett says said that, you know, in the short term, the market is a, um, what did he say? I forget the saying. Basically, um, it's kind of in the short term, it's, you know, anything can happen. Look at the 52, go look at some of your stocks or some any stock and look at the 52 week high and the 52 week low for 2022 and look at the difference between the high and the low for the year. Um, and you will note that there's a big spread in there. It can be sometimes, especially in like resource companies, it can be 50% or more. Now I would ask you, in the, oh, I know what the quote is. In the short term, the market's a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And so getting back to the point I was saying, look at the variance between the highs and lows for the year. They can vary by 30, 40, 50%, especially in these resource markets. Did the underlying intrinsic value of the company change 30, 40, or 50% in one year? No. The value of these companies, of any company that you invest in does not, well, I don't want to say never, tip unless it's going into bankruptcy or, you know, the intrinsic value of the company, of companies, their assets, their ability to do business, whatever, does not vary 30 or 40 or 50% in a year. But this is the problem, right? And this is why you have to, this is what happens to people. They don't understand these concepts and then they get flushed out of the market because, you know, we're in a liquidity uh tightening liquidity situation. The markets are not going to make big strides forward until that reverses, okay? And so if the prospects fundamentally are getting better for these companies, but the price isn't moving, this is what typically happens. The fundamentals will keep getting better. Um, the sales will go up for Cameco. Their business will continue to get better and better or whatever, these companies as a, as a basket, if you want to take them that way. And then when liquidity comes back, all of a sudden they'll go on a run. And then you'll be over there scratching your head. Well, uranium stocks were up 100% this year. What happened? So this is how these things work, okay? And I guess I'm jumping around. I probably didn't explain it. You know, I speak extemporously on these things. I don't have notes. So uh, I just have a general thought process. But this is what I wanted to talk about, okay? This is my major call going forward. I've, one of my first, you know, I've been the most um, convicted on uranium okay i'm convinced that uh this is this is going to pay off it has for me already i haven't taken any profits i have a lot of paper profits but i think that even if you got in you know at one of the um sediment peaks you'd still do well and so you need to take another look at it and take this into consideration these type of um views when you're looking at these things so this is from the World Nuclear Association. These are the reactors that are coming on this year. Um, they say power reactors under construction, but what you look at the notes of this little uh, asterisk across, it will tell you that these are the planned starts and connections to the grid. Now I'll give you a link to this and you can go through and it has the, all the reactors when they're gonna come online for like the next three or four or five years. And it's like, pages it's like three full pages of reactors okay coming online 
okay? And you see the countries where it's happening, okay? It's not the U.S. Yeah, there's two reactors here that are way over budget that have been they've been messing with in uh, Georgia for the last you know 10 years. But look where these places are, okay? And you know, Bangladesh, Belarus, China, India, Korea, Turkey, okay? Uh, the UAE, okay? Um, and these are like big reactors, folks. These aren't like, you know, rinky dink. Now there's also a page that shows the reactors that have sh that shut down last year. And it's like a half dozen or so. But wh what's the trend? If you, if you, you should go to that World Nuclear Association site and read the the nuclear report for 2022. There's so much data that it, once you absorb it all, I mean, I don't understand how you can come to any other logical outcome except for that this is probably one of the most bullish setups ever. So just because it hasn't done, you know, well, I got in in August because everybody said it was going to go up and then it didn't. And so, you know, it's not doing what I wanted to do. So it sucks. I mean, I actually have emails like that that are sent to me. Um, those people are not going to be successful in investing. But this is uh, what's happening. And this is just like, you know, one sliver, then there's 2020. So I will send, give you a link to this. You should go and look at it. Uh, you should look at the rest of the website. It will tell you, it has so much information, you could spend a week on there um, getting yourself primed. And you should, if you're in, in these markets, you should be reading these things. You should be understanding the fundamentals and what's happening. That will help you give you the conviction and the certainty in your mind that the probabilities are in your favor. So this kind of ties into it uh, because it's the new year. I kind of want to talk about some of this stuff, not necessarily some news items, but investing is not gambling. Okay. And I think that's what a lot of people take it as. And one of the things that you will see from successful investors is they have a tendency to hold their positions for a long period of time. And what we have seen, this is like, um, this is just the S&P, right? Uh, stocks represented by the S&P. So if you just put all your money into a uh, dollar cost average into an S&P fund, okay, uh, like most people probably should do, you know, just 288 a payday, employer match in your 401k, put it in the low, the, in a Vanguard S&P fund. And then when you retire in 30 years, you'll be fine. And this kind of tells you why. Time horizon. You know, in one month, you have a this is just talking about the S&P, you have a 62% chance of making money against a 38% chance of losing money over a one month holding period. And you see like over a year, uh, your chances of making money go up 75% for a year holding period, they decrease your chances of losing money 25% and on and on and on. But I want to draw your attention to 15 years, okay? Over a 15-year period, which is going to encompass many, several, or a couple few economic cycles, possibly, your odds of making money in an S&P fund are 99.8%. Your chances of losing money over a 15-year period in an S&P fund are 0.2%. So what we're trying to illustrate here is there's a lot of people that trade. They're in and out all the time. They're jumping around. 
They're getting their juices flowing when they hear something on the internet or their buddy told them when they're on a message board or a discord or whatever, and this is hot or that's hot, blah, 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 blah. And they're jumping around and this is why they're not successful. Your holding period has a lot to do. You have to give time for things to play out. Your And why is this, why is this work? The reason this works is because, like I just said, there are economic cycles. There are things that affect the market, including liquidity, sediment, things like this, okay, that can overwhelm fundamentals. But in the end, the weighing machine plays out. The ascent of man continues. The businesses over time have a tendency, I'm talking about if, just in the S&P in general, uh, are going to move forward. Okay, because the wants and desires of people are unlimited. And so in a capitalist system, uh, you're trying businesses and companies and entrepreneurs are trying to satisfy people's wants and needs. Okay, at the cheapest, best way they can. Now, I'm not going to get into this is don't don't at me gammas with uh, we don't live in a capitalist system. Uh, there's, you know, I'm trying to make a point here about investing. Okay. And this illustrates the holding period. It ties into what we're talking about. You have to be able to have the conviction. And if you do, now this isn't like guaranteed for every stock, all right? There's some companies that go out of business. There's some companies whose business stinks. There's cyclical businesses that you have to understand the cycle and buy at the bottom of the cycle and sell near the top of the cycle. But in general, with normal businesses that have stock trading, and are part of the S&P over time, your holding period, as your holding period goes up, your chances of being successful increase, you know, almost to like 99.8%. You're almost guaranteed to make money if you hold the S&P 500 for 15 years or more. So um, I think this is illustrative and, you know, it's not, like I said, going to apply to every comp individual company. Uh, it doesn't apply to speculations. This, we're talking about investing now. And so I thought, you know, and what happens is you, this is what you have. You have people not holding things and they get caught up They, they under, or they have a, they kind of understand the thesis or they do have a good understanding of a company's prospects, but because they want to, they can't help themselves from trading or they let their emotions take over. They get caught in not wanting to hold and let the thesis play out and let the fundamentals play out. And so then they are just jumping around. And if you're jumping around, you know, you're going to have a 38% chance of, of losing money and higher in individual stocks. Right. So I wanted to point this out uh, just because I thought it was uh, illustrative and I think it, um, uh, you know, if you understand some of these concepts, even if you don't want to be a subscriber, even if you're just a casual investor, even if you're just a mutual fund investor, you know, there's nothing wrong with living your life and not agonizing or worrying about those things and just putting your money into long term uh, into it. Like I said, that's what Jack Bogle recommended most people do when he started Vanguard. That's why he started. Just put your money in a low cost, low fee you know, index fund, and then forget about it and go live your life. That's what most people should do. So I want to challenge you for 2023 to get on this education kick and understand. And I found a resource uh, that was tremendous and it's free. And I believe that everyone listening to this should avail themselves of it. 
Um, I can't believe this uh, person actually did this amount of work, but they did. So this is a this is another reason why Twitter. You must be on Twitter, and you must cultivate and grow. Uh, you know this. What I've said before: a bunch of people that you follow that are smarter than you, or people that can add value to you. There's so many people doing so much good work on Twitter. There's a lot of BS on there. There's a lot of political crap. But I'm talking about around investing, okay? I'm talking about, you know, all of these different money managers or hedge fund managers. Uh, a lot of them are pretty smart and they stay anonymous, but they share a lot of information and cultivating that. And, you know, that doesn't mean that everything that everybody I follow, I listen to or I agree with, but it's good for stimulating thinking and giving ideas. And so this is one of the, this is an account that's growing very quickly on Twitter. I've, I've been following for a while. Uh, it's called Compounding Quality. Uh, evidently, this is a professional investor, equity fund manager. What I think is good is he puts a lot of these sayings that I keep talking about, you know, uh, like every day, these different quotes of these famous investors. But what I think the real value is that he or, he or she has done for people is, you know, they say right here, teaching people about investing. If you go to their Substack, and I'll put a link, there's a section there that says reading, at the top says home, reading, archive. And these are links to, I mean, PDFs that this guy has created with the, like it says, all the writings of Warren Buffett. I think it's like three or 400, 600 pages PDF, okay? Same thing, uh, different, these are all top investors or successful people. Uh, Peter Lynch, Nick Sleep, Warren Buffett, um, this is a class that, uh, Joel Greenblatt, um, who's another great investor, uh, gave at Columbia university to give you the whole course, basically, uh, discussion. It's like 300 pages. These are like all PDFs. I mean, there's thousands of pages of investing wisdom here. Okay. So you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to go on Amazon. This is all free. I don't know if this person's, you know, how they accumulated all this. I don't know. It doesn't matter, but this is the kind of value you can get. And I challenge you to go and look at this stuff and carve some time out in your day and read. And then not just read it and then get up and run away. Think about what you're reading. Think about, you know, if you're trying to become a successful individual investor and you're not going to go into index funds and you're going to try to do it yourself, then why don't you want to understand, you know, success leaves clues. You have to understand what the successful people have done and uh, try to emulate that if you want to be successful. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, successful investing uh, has been done by quite a few people. And they have been, a lot of them have put out for free how they did it. And most people don't want to follow their wisdom. So I challenge you to take a look at this. There'll be a link in the show notes below. It can take you to that uh, Substack, which is free, by the way. And I suggest that you uh, take a look at it. There's a quote here by Charlie Munger. I've said this before. Quote, in my whole life, I have known no wise people who didn't read all the time. None. Zero. You know, Charlie Munger, I think, turned 99 this previous week. Um, you know, he didn't really get become starting to get successful investing until he was in his 50s. 
And uh, well, my part of my goal with this whole thing with the newsletter and these videos is to catch you guys' attention when you're in your 20s. You know, you have like, the average human lifespan is 600,000 um, uh, hours, I think. Yeah, something like that. Maybe a little bit more. I don't know. I have to figure it out. But anyways, when you're young, time is your greatest asset. You have your whole length of time. The problem is you don't have a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And so by the time, what happens typically is when you accumulate the knowledge and wisdom and you do it through making mistakes on your own to learn, which is the hardest and most costly way to do it. And so if you can take the time to understand what these people have already learned, they have put all the signposts, given you the map, given you the key. I mean, I think it's very important. This is kind of, uh, you know, the key to success. And then you don't follow it. That's on you. That's on you not wanting to put the time in or understand it or think that you know more. You know, there were so many people. This is when I, this is when you know you're in a bubblicious economy. Remember all of the times during the last couple of years when Bitcoin was going to 60,000 and all of these young uh, cats were running around, you know, bragging about all the money they made. And, and there were people that made, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions in some of this stuff, but it wasn't the average person messing around with it. And remember they had these saints, have fun staying poor. Warren Buffett's lost it. He's an old man. He's a, you know, whatever boomer, he doesn't get it. Well, he's still standing and Berkshire Hathaway is still moving forward. And all these other people are back at Chili's waiting tables. So there's something to be said about Aesop's fables and the, and the story of the hare and the tortoise. And if you adopt these, this wisdom when you're young, then you have time for that compounding to take place. Okay. You, you know, if my great grandfather would have known these things, then he could have set up, I don't even know who the guy was on either side, but if he would have known this, he could have got into the equity markets, um, even with a small sum of money, forgot about it. I didn't have equity funds. I'm just using, this is just illustrative what could have happened and set up his entire generations to come You because of the compounding, because of the movement of man the ascent of man from the lower left on the chart to the upper right and so uh time is your biggest asset wasting it by not under i'm just talking about investing but it doesn't just apply to investing it applies to all facets of life so many people go through and make so many bad decisions and then by the time that they become wise if they even do i, I still see guys running around loose at 50 something years old live in chaotic lives you know that's individuals but if you want to be successful specific to investing it's all here it, you don't have to go reinvent the wheel you don't have to go figure it out for yourself people that are billionaires will tell you how to do it and then it's on you to do the work and to process the information and then apply it so enough preaching i just thought this was a good tool it's a new year i challenge people to commit to educating themselves and trying to uh get better you know if you're a professional athlete or 
anything, you always are striving to get better. You know, you're striving to train, shave a couple hundredths of a second off your sprint, you know, have a higher average in baseball, whatever it may be. It takes practice. It takes grind. It takes, you know, commitment to devote time to. And so uh, it's a craft investing and you have to devote time for it. You're not just going to show up and do this part time and be successful. If that's, if you can't, and, and that's most people, right? I mean, you're competing against Howard Marks and Warren Buffett and, you know, all these people, Charlie Munger, you know, Stan Druckenmiller, all these people that are way smarter, have way more resources than you, have a lot more experience than you, okay? And if you think you're going to go to your 40-hour-a-week job, come home, deal with your kids, fix the, uh, you know, issues around your house, and then, you know, once a week, look at your stuff for 40 minutes, and then you're going to beat the market. You're not going to do that. Okay. It's not going to happen. So anyway, uh, wanted to point this out. I think it's a good resource. Please avail yourself of it. So a few little news tips or news bits this week. Um, China to accelerate approval of new coal projects. Uh, China reiterated its focus on energy security. This is what we're talking about, okay? It's, you know, in the rest of the world, uh, we're talking about energy security and providing energy for the demand that is happening as these economies and as these people uh, become wealthier. And you need energy security. You need, remember, if we create these complex and more, you know, wealthier societies with more things and more services and more complexity it requires a certain amount of energy inputs if the energy inputs are not there then the complexity and the wealth creation ability and the productivity breaks down okay these are not hard concepts to understand china isn't going to burn more coal because they want to pollute the earth and kill everybody they have no choice right now as as they have a large population they've have a commitment to increasing people's standard of living and Coal is easy to use and ubiquitous and relatively cheap. Vowing to ensure the supply of energy and electricity, coordinate resources and accelerate approval of new coal projects while asking coal enterprises to expand production as peak season approaches. Power generation companies should store more high quality coal to ensure power generation during peak times. And leading groups should coordinate resources to support affiliated power plants in Southwest and Northeast China to make full use of their capacity and help fill the gap in local power supply and heating. What I find interesting, it's not part of this article, but there's been some rumors and rumblings about, you know, the Chinese were very angry with the Australians over the last couple of years, and they have not been importing Australian uh, met or thermal coal. And there's, I think that's getting ready to change because like I said, the desire, which would be great because um, I mean, it's kind of booming right now. I mean, Newcastle coal is still just barely under $400 a ton as we continue to, you know, people just continue to ignore, ignore the coal market. Do I think that these historic prices will stay here forever? More than likely not. But if you look at the balance sheets of a lot of the coal companies around the world, I mean, they're almost all deleveraged now. They're full of, they're just full of cash. Again, it kind of reminds me of that scene in Scarface, right? When they're humping those duffel bags into the bank, you know, week after week, and the bank is kind of just going like, what the, you know, WTF, what's going on here? Or like uh, Frank Lopez said, you know, to uh, Tony Montagna, your biggest problem is what to do with all the cash. And so 
Um, I think that, you know, coal is ignored. It's one of those mar markets we've done very well in, and we suspect we'll continue to do well because energy security is a priority for most governments around the world. I thought this was interesting. You know, one of the things, one of the, um, the main thesis that I have going forward for this decade is a decade of chaos, a decade of change, volatility. You know, Neil Howe says that we're in a fourth turning. If you kind of read those books or listen to interviews that he has, he recently had one on Wealthion with Adam Taggart. You can listen to that. But understanding what's happening, right? These cyclical things that happen generationally. And as we see, you know, the historical nature of rising empires and then how they decline. And I know a lot of people don't, especially Americans that live in the United States, don't perceive the United States as an empire, but it is. It's the hegemon right now at this point in history. There have been previous hegemons and they all follow a certain ascent and then they usually go into decline all for the same reasons. Um, they become decadent. Uh, they become physically unstable. They ha usually have large militaries. They are trying to maintain their empire that's they're financially unable to do. And they usually go into debt and they have problems. And then, you know, all of these things kind of conspire to cause these empires to then recede and the emergence of new empires. And so that's what I think we're in the process of right now, the United States and the Anglo-Atlantic uh, empire, if you will. I include the UK in there, the city of London, bankers, that whole kind of clique that's really run the world for the last 200 years is now in decline, you know, and um, it's obvious. Uh, perfect example, you know, everybody forgot about what happened in Afghanistan. This is a tragedy to me. We spent 20 something years there we spent trillions of dollars and we went there to uh, take care of supposedly Osama bin Laden, you know, and the Taliban had taken over Afghanistan. And we weren't going to allow Afghanistan to be a place where you could launch terror attacks on the West. That was what we were told. We have to fight them over there so we don't fight them here. And so trillions of dollars were spent. A lot of people grifted and made a lot of money. I'm not going to get into that. That's probably more for the reality check, but that's what happened. A lot of people got killed. A lot of Afghanis were killed, civilians. A lot of uh, American soldiers were killed, other foreign soldiers, Afghani people were killed. And then we left last August, you know, and we, you know, just pulled out. And we left tens of billions of dollars of military equipment there. If you remember, we had the tragedy. I think it was like uh, 13 or so people were killed during that bomb explosion as we were leaving. That whole thing was botched. And so as you, this is an article here. So inevitably, you know, as you see the emergence of other empires, if you will, and I think China, no one actually views himself as an empire, I think sometimes they just want to control things because they feel that, you know, in China's prospects, you know, for resources so that they can continue their economic growth and these type of things. Okay. And so it ends up where you have to make 
you know, certain decisions, you need a military to enforce those, you know, it's a whole, I mean, you could get, this would be hours of lectures by PhDs. But what has happened, it says, as U.S. retreat, China signs $540 million oil and gas deal in Afghanistan. So we have left Afghanistan. You know, we spent all that money and time to take out the Taliban. And after 20 years and a couple trillion dollars, the Taliban are now in charge again. Um, and now China is moving in to take, you know, advantage of the resource potential that exists in China uh, or in Afghanistan. So from the article, a Chinese company signed a $540 million deal with Afghanistan to develop an oil and gas field as Beijing moves to secure access to the country's vast mineral wealth after the exit of American troops. And the biggest deal struck since the Taliban's takeover in 2021, Xinjiang Central Asia Petroleum and Gas said that over the next three years, it would develop the field in the Amu Darya Basin in northern Afghanistan, according to the Afghan regime. Afghans, Afghanistan's aid-dependent economy collapsed after the August 2021 withdrawal of American forces and the Taliban's toppling of the U.S.-backed government. The regime, which hasn't been recognized by any country, is trying to stabilize the economy by attracting investments that create jobs for poverty-stricken Afghans. So some people look at this and say, those, you know, they're not recognized, blah, 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 all this nonsense, all this coffee house crap, all this university teacher's lounge crap that doesn't matter. Countries do not have allies. Countries have interests. It's in the interest. You know, we subsidized that country for 20 years as we were occupying it, okay, after the toppling of the Taliban. We tried to stand up government, but it didn't work. It was never going to work because Afghanis are not Americans or Western Europeans, okay? They didn't go through the Enlightenment. They have a different culture. They have a different religion. They have a different worldview. And this constant running around the world trying to turn everybody into a Jeffersonian Democrat by force doesn't work. And so here we have, uh, who do they turn to? They turn to China. China's not giving them free money. China's saying, you have resources that we need. And Afghanistan has a, believe me, if you go to the geological survey and look at what they have, they have, tr they have about a trillion or $2 trillion in resources. They have all kinds of stuff. I should probably analyze it further. But this is what's going to happen because they have interests. They have to do certain things. They are a government that has to provide, that has to, you know, do something to get an economy going. So if no one else is going to help them, if no one else is going to invest money, they're going to turn to China. China needs resources. You see, people don't have allies, they have interests. And if the interests align, then deals will get done. And this is more part, this is a part again of my overall thesis for this decade in the coming couple few decades, probably of this emergence of the Eurasian, you know, supercontinent. This is, goes back to the whole McKinton thing. I'm not going to get into it. I, I promised to do a video on it, but I haven't had time. You're going to see more of this, okay? Not less of this. There's nothing the U.S. can do about this. Now, all that money that was spent by the U.S., that's, that's on the balance sheet of the government. That's debt that will never be paid back. And who is the beneficiary of all this? Ends up being China, okay? So this is not a one-off. This is going to continue. You see these deals being cut all over all the time throughout Central Asia, and no one's paying attention, okay? This is what the government, the neocons do. They go around, their projects sound really good, there's a lot of excitement, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and then they always end in disaster, one after another. You know, there's prospects now for a peace deal in Syria, and 
doesn't include the United States. Tried to topple Assad, he's still there, okay? Uh, if you just saw the uh, this week, they kind of, the government kind of, you know, acknowledged that the fake president of Venezuela, this Guadado guy, he's kind of been thrown under the bus, okay? They always stand up these fake bits, and they they just evaporate like a puddle in in a hot Texas day. And you pay for it. And this is why our empire is in decline. Okay, we can't afford it. We're, we're spent. We have a leadership that's tired, that has no new ideas, is running the same playbook that doesn't work over and over again. Do you think this didn't work in Afghanistan? Do you think we're going to actually win in Ukraine? We're not winning in Ukraine. We're not going to win, okay, because it's not existential for us. We're going to spend a lot of money. We're going to A lot of people are going to get killed on both sides, including a lot of civilians. And then we're going to, when it doesn't go our way, we're going to pretend it never happened and leave, just like we did in Afghanistan. We're going to leave a trail of devastation behind us, okay? And we're going to, and this Zelensky will end up like Guadado and whoever the people were, were in the U.S.-backed Afghan government. You don't even know who they are and don't care. Just a bad dream, forget about it. Add another hundreds of billions of dollars to the debt that will never get paid back. All right, that's my little rant. So this is what we have to keep an eye on, guys. This is what's happening. So this is a world map. Again, I've talked about this before, the Eurasian continent, you know, that cannot be allowed. No, you know, this, the, the great, the grand chessboard, if you will, we cannot, you know, the United States policy is not to allow any power to come to emerge and be the dominant power here. Why? Because the market that stretches from Lisbon to Vladivostok the resources that are here, you know, and the markets that are here in Asia, um, you know, if that gets going and these there's a big cooperation here, then the United States is over here on the other side of the world. How does it how is it involved in it? It's not. OK, it can't control it. And that's what's happening. It's moving that way. Will 2023 be the year BRICS expands? Yes. So the red countries are already the BRICS countries, Russia, Brazil, India, China. Uh, South Africa, and you see the prospective BRICS members, you know, Argentina, Nicaragua, Algeria, Senegal, Nigeria, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, um, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Indonesia. These countries, if you start, I might have to do this exercise too, and look at the percentage of resources in these countries. You know, for example, if you look at... Um, Saudi, Iran, Brazil, and Russia, I mean, you're probably talking about more than, well over more than half of the world's oil production, okay? Um, if you throw Venezuela in there, which has the largest oil reserves in the world, I mean, eventually do they join BRICS? And so what you're seeing is, and I'm not saying again that I think this is going to be a better system than the unipolar world. This is the multipolar world we're working for, and it's being sold by the current members of BRICS as a more full, fair and equitable arrangement than what, what is available under the current hegemon, okay? That we will not sanction you. We will not threaten you. We will bring capital and expertise into your country and we will have a win-win outcome. I'm not saying that that's what's gonna happen, that's not gonna be exploitive. I don't know, but I'm telling you that's where the world's heading. 
And this is why you're going to have more and more conflict. Is the United States going to run around and try to topple all these countries, governments? How can they? Okay, do you see how it's slipping, the, the unipolar world is slipping away from the United States? The, 20 years ago, they, wouldn't, they didn't have the resources, the political capital, the economy size to even think about doing this. I've told you before, these economies are all growing. They have rising populations in many cases, not China, for example, but they have a lot of resources. And it's like, why not work together for a win-win outcome instead of just being exploited by the Anglo-American um, you know, banking interests and business interests that have done, you know, the colonial, neo-colonial system that we have, where we go into a country, we install a government, or we tell you what to do, and if you don't do it, then we overthrow the government or use our or send in the cruise missiles. Okay, so I think you should watch this. And as countries join, it's going to embolden more countries to want to join. Okay, because most of these countries do not want to be dictated to. Okay, they want to have options. So it's something we have to watch uh, this year. And going forward, I think it's uh, something that most people are not paying attention to, but I think it's probably one of the biggest stories uh, for, you know, the economically, politically, uh, for the for the world. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Want to talk about oil field services prospects in Canada? They're very good. Here's a note from one of the fir brokerage firms up there, or research firms talking about what's going on. We're invested there in the uh, in the portfolio. We've got like three or four companies, uh, smaller, small cap, mid cap companies in Canada that are doing very well, that are uh, having, you know, had pretty good success last year. And we anticipate that to continue. And here's why. Available equipment remains tight with operators reluctant to drop rigs crews as there is no visibility on being able to pick up equipment later on. Capital discipline from service companies will limit equipment growth support supply growth. Pricing is not high enough to incentivize new build economics over five-year payout on current drilling rates. Producer capex to cash flow spending ratios remain near all-time lows. So again, we're getting back to that whole idea that I've talked about before. Um, because of the industry atrophying or shrinking because of the depression, oil depression, we, we went through the last couple few years, um, a lot of companies went away. And so the amount of equipment and crews and stuff that's available is not that high. So even though spending isn't like ramping up massively, it is coming back and there simply isn't enough resources to allow for, um, you know, massive expansion. Plus the managements of these companies that supply these services are reluctant to spend more money on capital expenditures because they can't, their five-year look ahead uh, is not is murky. And so this gives us the opportunity, I think, for the companies that are set up uh, in, in this uh, industry to, uh, you know, have a couple few years, I think, of going to be some super extraordinary returns. And that only just as apply to Canada, but also to like offshore. Offshore is booming. Um, there was a recent um, offshore service vessel company that reported earnings. They're based in uh, Australia, I think. They have a lot of their um, boats that work. What is an off offshore service vessel? Is a vessel that services rigs, brings food, water, fuel, people, whatever, back and forth between land and the, and the rig to service it. Uh, and that company uh, predominantly operates in Asia, but I think it's similar to what we've seen all over the whole world. 
because the same thing happened, right? Because rates were so low for so long for these boats, a lot of businesses went away. A lot of boats were cold stacked, uh, which means they were taken out of the water and you know put up on blocks. They're not going to be brought back because the cost of bringing them back now is is too high. And so again, you have this small uh, fleet now, and so the survivors have the possibility for having higher prices. And so this company reported that in their area of operations, they're having utilization rates of like 82 or 83 percent. You start getting above 80 percent in these rigs and these offshore service vessels. This is when the day rates start going up. Okay, it's uh, so this is what we've been forecasting is going to happen, and it is starting to happen. We're starting to see it come through now with company um, results. Wanted to point this out: average time to develop mine for selected commodities. Uh, this is uh, like a lithium in Australia, four years to develop a mine. Lithium in South America, seven years. Nickel sulfide mine, 12 to 13 years. Nickel laterite mine, 19 to 20 years. Average kind, 16 to 17 years. So this is the problem, folks. Underinvestment and the time to... This is our opportunity. This is our arbitrage. The underinvestment and then the need for new development and the time it takes. Now, this can be accelerated if you throw money at it. But again, the resources are not there. The mine builders, the equipment, the people, it's, it takes time to ramp this up. And so this is what causes, you know, even if the incentive prices for these metals go substantially higher, which I believe they will over this next couple of few years, the ability for the industry to react can't just throw money at it. at some point you have to get a return it's not unlimited money and so you have to balance this and in the meantime the demand is increasing for these metals there's been a lack of investment i'm not talking about a year or two i'm talking about like a decade okay this is going to create chronic undersupply as we ramp up the demand and most of these metals that you see here are for the energy transition they needed they're needed for the electrification or batteries and things, and things like that and if you want to go from X, from this part of your energy transition to this new uh, era where you fully transition, the metals are not available right now. It doesn't mean they're not in the earth, but the ability to get them out of the earth is not just flipping a switch. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. Again, uh, Happy New Year. We're back. Uh, we got a lot of work to do. And uh, again, please avail yourself of that information that I'm going to provide those links, you know, spend some time learning from the people that have been successful. That would be my advice. Commit to reading. You know, again, I've told this story before. Charlie Munger was asked by a graduating class of MBAs at Stanford. He gave a speech or a talk and they have question and answer. And one of the uh, MBA students asked him, what advice would you give? to people to be successful like you've become successful and he said read 500 pages a day and that's what he said if you listen to what he and warren buffett said that's all they do they read and think all day that's basically they don't get on robin hood they don't day trade they don't do these things they increase their knowledge so it gives them a perspective and insight into things that the average investor doesn't have and that's why they're the successful that's one way that they've been successful. That's not the only reason, but that's a big reason. Okay, guys, that's it for this, this week. Uh, appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next week.